rte.ie forward slash drama on one. Next, we continue our season of new writing in the time of the pandemic with Bachelor by Neve Campbell, performed by Barry McGovern. The happy bachelor in middle age has dispatched another girlfriend and set to sexily upcycle his bungalow. Everything is fine until two earnest millennials, one of them his son, arrive to spoil the ambience. Within months of taking the place, I had alienated the architect, allegedly, which everyone knew because the architect drank locally. This is a small place, a street, slab of aggregate, size of a dance floor in the town. This place is just a street, with townlands fanning out like aftershocks. It began with that, the architect. I came out to Walden it, I will admit. In middle age, most happy and dapper in myself. At the start, the house was but a terrible beveled bungalow, but the windows were huge. They were so big, these windows, and so cold, of course. They were so big, I thought of tractors lashed to windows tilting sideways up the driveway, you know? Like primitive people transporting slabs to Stonehenge. The question of how simple people managed such a feat. I made the mistake of thinking this aloud to my son when he visited. I'd cooked. I tried to make an effort when he came. I tried, you know, to amuse him by sketching the image of people lashing windows to tractors and tilting up the hill to this kind of bungalow ranch for the sake of willfully windowing it, the absurdity. But my son very much takes after his mother and, well, I don't think he quite comprehended the point of the sketch. He's studying to be an actuary, which I did try to prevent. If you're going to blend in... If you're going to blend in, he said, you should not look down on people. Oh, but I'm not, I said. That's what you do sometimes. That's what you do sometimes, he said. You could be supercilious. You could be superior. Superior. This passed somewhat for courage or counterculture. The boy's life has been blighted by ease, you see. No sense of history, but a lust for borrowed grievances. But I forbore. We had problems before. He had problems, I mean, at school and so on. Oh, nothing serious. He's just awkward, you know. There was this thing about a girl at school. He had a tremendous amount of anxiety about it. Something, and I will be clear about this, something I have always known is that I must let my son kill me so I can go forth. It's the decent thing to do. I'm not, I told him, being superior. Certainly not about the people. I'm only having fun. I had a girlfriend at this point, actually. I'd met her at some thing, and she was of that breed of woman who maintains a sheet of auburn hair, warm hair to wander in, hazel wood and Scottish widows and so on. Maintains this into her forties. She managed a small printing press. They spent some thousands on a bespoke colophon. Her energy was Shiraz, not Chablis, you understand. Anyway, she took great interest in the house. Women are incorrigible for that. She took great interest in my son. 
but I had not told him about that. It didn't last, of course. Tantric tantrum on the board of wood I'd set between the door and the driveway when the foundations were being excavated, when the roots of the house, like the roots of a tooth, were gruesomely exposed. Tantric tantrum, slim back wagging like a warning cat. The architect said, shame, that lady had some good ideas. Shame. She is tasteful, I agreed. My son was slopping coffee. He asked, what lady was, what that? Lady was that? He said, I have a girlfriend. I have a girlfriend. At this, I was taken aback. That week, the architect crashed through an entire wall at the back. He sort of stapled tarpaulin that squeaked in wind over the gap. For days, I called and shouted about it and smashed the phone down. I had this old-fashioned dial-up phone, stylish, that I moved with me everywhere. Bring her out here, I suggested to my son on a whim. This girl, friend. This girl was a student, too. She was interesting. She came in on the first day dressed in drapes, lean upholstery, and hitched her knees up, and sort of pinned herself to an armchair and watched me. I could still see her pinned there like a rosette. It became a regular occurrence. Her visiting, I mean. When my son was working, studying in the room I'd accorded him, cornered by flock, she took to taking walks. I would come by in my car and see her sort of stalking the place. The house beveled but not bested in the center of a great green field. I can see her still, crouching a little, filling the fireplace, long hands, ghost face. Pamela was her name, improbably. And this is only one side of the girl, because there were others, and one was what you might expect from a student. No fun, sick tummy, opening all the newspaper supplements out on the floor, things like that. Forever wanting a lift to the train station. Pockets full of change. So she sounded like some kind of obscene Christmas tree crossing the room. My son and this girl would come from the station on alternate Saturdays, cycling sometimes, and sit here poking the fire as though it were an animal they doubted in silence. Painful pin-drop silence. Of course it was strange, but the boy has just always been strange, you see. I started to miss she of the colophons, putting on jazz and dancing in the afternoons, saying, Oh, I didn't hear you come in. I didn't hear you come in. The girl, by contrast, would come up and down that shingle path outside, up and down before the concrete was poured, up and down, coming and going in high-heeled boots, like she'd read about being a girl in a book only, stand there trembling, steam breath, a colt. I don't remember much of what she told me about herself. It's more like she was a kind of sculpture, humanoid, you know, minimalist, a carving maybe in a niche. Now what, I asked my son, is this issue with Pamela? Don't you like her? Don't you like her? he asked. It's not a matter whether I do, I said. It's a matter of whether, I suppose, you do. I was failing now, really. I was dismayed. 
I mean, I asked, do you like her very much? Of course. Of course, he said. She's my girlfriend. She's my girlfriend. But you don't, I said, seem to speak. Not in front of you, maybe. Not in front of you, he said. I began to run into her, white and weird, constantly, in the airing cupboard, or again the shingle path, her hair parted austerely in the centre of her forehead, on the spot she of the colophons would call the third eye, this hair then sheeting to her waist like a folk singer, big-eyed. I asked her once what she was studying. Equality. Equality. She replied. Just that. An entire degree in one mundane aspiration, which is abjectly impossible. I mean, it is, isn't it? But this meant I could now speak to her, though when I spoke to her, she looked afraid. Oh, no, oh, no. she said once. Oh, no, in disagreement, pushing food away, dressing flowers, something convenient like that. Oh, no. You have to open yourself out to empathy, to all the world. There is so much suffering, she said. There is so much suffering. By this point, they were here every day, and not just Saturdays. What broke me ultimately was a dream. I had stripped my own room of everything but a pallet bed to keep my mind clean, ready for the ideas I wished to have at the second prime of my life. I could roll in and out of it like a soldier. Anyway, in this dream, and it had to be a dream, I mean, she was standing over me like a tombstone, exactly like a tombstone, nude and busily skinny, by which I mean skinny in an unskilled way, by accident, a hazard of distraction and the sheer banal intensity of emphasis with which she sat in silence by my boy and thought about suffering. Her body, in this dream, was flat, with features etched in only low relief, her mouth a tulip of disapproval, her nipples pointing in a highly specific direction, like the finger of some spiritual figure in an altarpiece where the altar has gone, pointing mystically towards nothing. Next day, the architect arrived when called and pointed to the great tarpaulin gawk. That must have been difficult to live with, he commiserated. But you're one stubborn bastard, you know that? Do you know that? I had cracked and also called she of the colophons, who came right out in her minxy mini, a sheaf of flowers on the back seat. Well, well, she said, let's go for a jaunt. Calm you down, shall we? Well, well. I had packed a bag and I was breathing like a bloody animal. What I'm thinking. What I'm thinking, she continued as we took off, about the back of the house, is a sunroom, something simple, building on the window thing, like a theme. That was Bachelor by Neve Campbell, starring Barry McGovern. The play was produced by the series producer of Drama on One, Kevin Reynolds. To listen back to Bachelor, The Old Tune and over a hundred plays in the radio archive, go to rte.ie forward slash drama on one. And to finish, we go back to writings of Samuel Beckett. 
we'll hear an excerpt from the CD release on Clada Records, McGowan Speaking Beckett. Here, Jack McGowan performs an excerpt from Beckett's novel, Malone Dies. I shall soon be quite dead at last, in spite of all. Perhaps next month, then it will be the month of April, or of May, for the year is still young. A thousand little signs tell me so. Perhaps I am wrong. Perhaps I shall survive St. John the Baptist's day, and even the 14th of July, the festival of freedom. Indeed, I would not put it past me to pant on to the transfiguration, not to speak of the assumption. But I do not think so. I do not think I am wrong in saying that these rejoicings will take place in my absence this year. I have that feeling. I've had it now for some days, and I credit it. I could die today if I wished, merely by making a little effort. But it is just as well to let myself die quietly, without rushing things. Something must have changed. I will not weigh upon the balance any more, one way or the other. I shall be neutral and inert. No difficulty there. Trolls are the only trouble. I must be on my guard against trolls. But I am less given to them now since coming here. Of course, I still have my little fits of impatience from time to time. I must be on my guard against them for the next fortnight or three weeks. Without exaggeration, to be sure. Quietly crying and laughing without working myself up into a state. Yes, I shall be natural at last. I shall suffer more and less without drawing any conclusions. I shall pay less heed to myself. I shall be neither hot nor cold any more. I shall be tepid. Hmm. I shall die tepid without enthusiasm. I shall not watch myself die. That would spoil everything. Have I watched myself live? Have I ever complained? And why rejoice now? I am content, necessarily, but not to the point of clapping my hands. I am satisfied. There, I have enough. I am repaid. I need nothing more. Let me say before I go any further, that I forgive nobody. I wish them all an atrocious life, and then the fires and ice of hell, and in the execrable generations to come, an honored name.
That was Jack McGowan performing an excerpt from Malone Dies by Samuel Beckett. And the recording was taken from the CD release on Cladder Records, McGowan Speaking Beckett. rta.ie forward slash drama on one.